Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And where do you work and what should people pay for? Um, I think I work at The Athletic and people should pay for good tacos. <laughs> that is true. And journalism. Tacos and journalism. Cannot go wrong that's what Nashville does. Tacos and journalism. <laughs> uh, we'll get to Jasper's in a second. Hang on, Adam. Uh, so coming up on the show today, uh, but please rate, review, and subscribe, of course. Please share the show before we get into the show. Uh, a couple of uh, announcements real quickly here. Chad Withrow going to be on with us on Lamestream Sports this week. That comes out every Friday with myself and Steve Cavendish, so make sure you check that out. Spencer Hall, every day should be Saturday. For those of you who love college football, will be on the show with myself and Aaron Dugan. That comes out every Thursday. Fringe Element is the name of that podcast. And on this here show, Jeff Merrick going to join us a little bit later on, who basically is a hockey badass. The coolest man alive. I was surprised to learn that That's he was pretty bold statement. <laughs> he's up there. I was surprised to learn that he was that he is fifty one years old. Are he's sure? got a full head of hair. Are you sure you wanted to tell him that? That's him? fine. By the way, he's he's with Sportsnet. Of he's course. with Sportsnet. Um, one half of the Thirty One Thoughts podcast with Elliot Freeman. Um, very good show. Very good show. Um, but yes, fifty one years old, Jeff Merrick, which was a lot older than I thought. Full head of hair, full sleeve tats. No. Oh. He's a cool guy. Cool dude. Yep. And a lot of really good stuff about what the Nashville Predators are going through right now, the decisions they have to make on a lot of different fronts, a lot of really good insight from him. So that's coming up a little bit later on the show. Uh, we will we will have our own real quick sort of thoughts on this David Poyle conversation that has taken over the Nashville Predators fan base, of course. We cannot not do that. We've got a little history lesson on changing general managers in the middle of the season in the NHL. You had a really excellent piece about Pekka Rene wanting to stay in Nashville. You have, you, you're going to issue an apology on the show. I am going to issue an apology. I think it is, is it heartfelt. Time. <laughs> I mean, well, by the apology, maybe having to give some of these players and coaches credit for the start, uh, for, for some of the effort they've put forth in the last week. We'll get to that in just a second as well. But first, of course, the Gold Standard is brought to you by... Jaspers! You had a chance to try the Gold Standard cocktail I saw on the socials. I did. Last week, my wife and I, uh, before one of the games against Carolina, uh, had a happy hour slash early dinner at, uh, at Jaspers. I, I tried the Gold Standard. It was delicious. Um, so... Much love to the staff at Jasper's for making a delicious cocktail that bears the name of our esteemed podcast. Um, <laughs> we split some cola poppers. Ooh, delicious. Tempura. Yeah, yes, yeah, tempura, yeah. cauliflower. Yes. Delicious. I had the Creole roll. Ooh, nice. Yes, delicious. Uh, it was very refreshing, which is not something you would think of when you think of eating seafood, but it is very refreshing, nice and cool, you know. Yep. The 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 uh, the shrimp and such quite delicious. Um, it is a, like you go to a sports bar normally, and you think of like sort of dark, heavy food. It's very light and refreshing, and airy and smart, and and very very yummy. All well. of those things. Yes. All right. So go to Jasper's, of course, over on West End, free parking, great space to watch the game, and the Gold Standard cocktail, which is named after this podcast. A little whiskey, unsweet tea, some limoncello. It's a fantastic cocktail. Go try it out. The Gold Standard. And if you. If you go, take a picture, post it on the socials, make sure you tag 440 Sports, and make sure you tag Jaspers as well. All right, so the Predators are 2-2-1 two, two, and one on the road trip from hell that we basically you know, predicted doom and gloom for, for, <laughs> for weeks on this show, um, and they have played much, much better than their talent with the injuries that they have, probably much, much better than we anticipated considering the, um, the competition that they're facing. Uh, but they beat Dallas in the first game of the road trip in a shootout, although that one, <laughs> we talked a little bit about that one last week on the pod. That one was certainly a little bit fortuitous. They lose in overtime to Carolina. They get smoked by Carolina on Thursday. They get smoked by Tampa, but then they come back and beat Tampa on Monday. So they are 2-2-1 two, two, and one in the road trip. Are you? I, I have to say, like they have done a far better job on this road trip than I anticipated. I would say so, and, and as you mentioned, we talked about that first game against the Stars on March 7th, the game they were leading 3 nothing late in the third period, blew that, game, blew that lead, excuse me, then won in a shootout. Um, remember, the day before, they were 
bludgeoned by the Florida Panthers at home, 6-2. to two. So they didn't leave on a great note, which probably fed into our pessimism. Uh, you know, they played a, a good game, I think, overall. That first game against Carolina, they were up 2-0. Dante Fabro commits the penalty that got him suspended for two games. The, the Hurricanes tie the game thanks to all of their power play time. Then they win in overtime. Just the second overtime loss for the Predators under John Hines, which That's just I thought odd. was interesting. Yeah. Um, the following game against Carolina, forget it, burn it, move on. Um, the game against Tampa, they lost 6-3, to but they did make it a 4-3 game in the third period. Um, so, Which basically was a microcosm of all the other games of the season. Start right? slow, have a spirited third period. And just not be good enough to win. And just not be yeah. good enough to win. Sure, yes. And then the game against Tampa, which I think this game time-wise was rescheduled as a result of the previous postponements from Dallas because I... I knew there was a game yesterday, of course, but then when I looked at my my looked at my schedule and saw that it was at three o'clock Central Time, I said, "Why is there a three o'clock game on the Monday?" So, the, so I'm not crazy for thinking like, "Oh, it's is it President's Day?" I, is that this was the, my like, first you know, thought? Was is this a holiday I'm unaware right. of? Because that's the only time there are Monday afternoon hockey games. But I think because the Lightning, by the way, um, after the Predators skipped town, skipped Dallas a couple of weeks ago. The Lightning were the next team that were supposed to come in, and they weren't able to come in because of the same weather-related issues in Dallas. So I think those that series of postponements led to that game on Monday being a 3 p.m. Central start. My daughter, my four-year-old daughter, loved it. No, she, I she was able I to watch it. Afternoon great. hockey. I love afternoon hockey. I wish all games were in the afternoon. It's funny because I remember a couple of years ago I tweeted something to that effect. And somebody replied, well, it doesn't help those of us that have nine to fives and can't get out of work. <laughs> to which I replied, well, my job is to be at those games. So I don't care when you can't watch it. <laughs> I have to be there. No, that, that's why I'm a selfish jerk. Um, but I love <laughs> afternoon hockey. It was great that like after the game, my wife and I took a walk with the dog and it was still light out yeah. and it was like six o'clock. And Daylight I could, savings time. Yeah, I could actually enjoy uh, the evening. Um, so... I think yesterday's game, and it's hard when you're talking about 29 games. It's hard to remember all of them, especially this season, when you don't want to remember a lot of them. Um, but last last night slash, well, actually, yesterday afternoon's game um, was perhaps their best performance of the season. When you consider where they are versus where the Lightning are, when you consider all of the injuries that they've been dealing with, the fact that they have close to $30 million of combined cap space on injured reserve right now among seven players, the fact that you have a lineup full of rookies playing against the defending Stanley Cup champions, which is yeah. you know a team full of veterans, that was a great game. Um, I think they, they did exactly what they needed to do. I know the third period was a bit harrowing, which you can expect when the team is trying to defend a big lead, especially against a team like Tampa, which can turn a game from bad to good in an instant. Um, but the Predators held on. Pecorine looked fabulous, made some excellent saves. Um, so I think you can feel good about a game like that. Now, is this the game that's going to change the entire season around? No. Is Are the Predators likely to miss the playoffs still? Yes. But it's, it makes you feel good. There are things that you can look at that game, the performance of the young players, you know, the way that they attacked that game. Um, you can look at that performance and feel good about what you saw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the young guys in particular, Trennan, Olivier, guys that you and I have talked a lot about this season as, like, they've earned a spot as some, some you know, let the kids play. They've earned their spot as the kids. And I, I think the way they played in the first period to come out with that kind of energy. And and we were talking about this before the show. I, I think you have to give some credit. Some of this goes to the players for not quitting for, for responding to adversity, not having a lot of their best players. Like you mentioned the cap space that's on IR right now, not, not your starting goaltender. Like you can go on and on about all this stuff that's gone wrong, but they, they have not quit. And I, that's a credit to the players. And it's, I, I guess you kind of have to give credit to the coaching staff here. You kind of have to give credit to John Hines because right now they over this stretch they have overachieved their talent level 
relative to the competition. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like you can't you cannot argue that. And one thing I would like to make note of, because I know that most of you listening are not fans of John Hines. I think that's very clear. I would venture to guess that most Predators fans who either listen to this podcast, who read my articles on The Athletic, who consume Predators hockey on a daily basis, do not like John Hines. That's just the vibe I get. Um, but when you watch a game like you did yesterday, the Predators would have had every reason. Let's Well, let's not use yesterday's game. Let's Let's talk about the game, the first Tampa game, when they were down by multiple goals. You know, if the Predators wanted to quote-unquote quit, they would have every right to. They're losing. The season is slipping away. All their best players. All of their best players are injured. If they just wanted to go through the motions, they could do that, and none of us would really blame them for that. But the fact that this team continues to play hard despite all of that is a credit to John Hines and his coaching staff, and it's also a reflection of the fact that this team still believes in John Hines. Now that that those these recent performances are not the kind of performances you see from a team that's quit on its coach. So for those who are wondering if John Hines' message has already grown stale <laughs> or they they're tuning him out, whatever we often talk about when a coach might be on the hot seat, that is not the case here. That when you watch these games, especially yesterday's game, that is not a team that's over its coach. That's a team that's playing hard yeah. because of its coach. So that's, it, it, it that's does, my... It doesn't change the calculus on if there's a new general manager at the end of the season and they're going to reevaluate John Hines. It doesn't necessarily change that. But in this moment, from last week's podcast to this week's podcast, they have overachieved their talent level relative to their competition. And that is a credit to the coaching staff and to the players, uh, both groups of them. And Because again, at 2-2-1, two, two they're already better than I expected the road trip to go. Yeah, and I thought they might so. win two games. So we'll, now <laughs> they, they, they still could fail in their final three. They got two against Florida. Well, they've already won two games, so I, I guess that's true. They, they've got two against Florida coming up on Thursday and Saturday. The best team in the league, the Florida Panthers, I believe. Tune in after the interview with Jeff Merrick to find out where Adam has the Florida Panthers ranked in his power rankings this week. People are clamoring for those power. Forty-two rankings. points, baby, <laughs> on top of the league, tied with the New York Islanders, but on top of the league nonetheless. At Dallas at 7.30 on Sunday. By the way, that that uh, Saturday game, 1 o'clock. Love that matinee start uh, against Panthers. And then Detroit next Tuesday, uh, again, back at home at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, all right, do you have – I think we need to get to the apology here. Okay, let's uh, get to the apology. Because number two on the team in goals, number four on the team in points and scoring, this is a guy who I believe scored on a breakaway – on Monday afternoon against Tampa Bay. A shorthanded breakaway. There were a lot of good shorthanded opportunities on Monday. There were. My guy. <laughs> My guy who absolutely deserved a six-year contract and, be, and to be protected over James Neal, Callie Yarncrook. Do you have something to say to Callie Yarncrook, Adam Bingen? So let's set the stage here before I get to what I'm, <laughs> I'm going for here. So... A few weeks ago, when we were talking about the state of the team, when I was being a bit animated, as is my want, I was discussing Callie Yarncroak, and I said, what does Callie Yarncroak even do? All he does is score goals, baby. That, that is what I said. And I've gotten a lot of those SpongeBob memes sent back at me with, <laughs> what does Callie Yarncroak even do? That's what I assume they sound like. And look, it's like the only voice you do. That's the only, that's the only voice I know how to do. That's how I make fun of that's how I make I fun of my wife and my mother. That's it's it's dangerous. It, it is dangerous, dangerous targets. But I'm still alive and, and able to tell that story. <laughs> but I got a lot of the SpongeBob memes, you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um making fun of my Cali Yarn Croak take. Your, so your I am voice he- your voice that you do does sound a little bit like uh oh god, what's his name? I'm the father here with with the starfish. Patrick. Patrick. It does sound a little bit like Patrick. It's a little Patrick-like. It's got a little Patrick. Um, but anyway, so here I am. <laughs> this is my apology to Callie Yarncroak. I know what you do. You had four points yesterday. You had a great game. You're a valuable member of this team. <laughs> I'm sorry. He does everything. He does. What does he do? All of the things, Adam. He does, he does all, all of the things. things. And <laughs> look, 
I mean, um, it's not a great situation for this team to be in where he's your second leading scorer. No, that's not great. But, but he he's playing well. And the thing about Callie Yarncroke is that he plays every position. He plays on every line. He plays on both special teams units, or he can do all of those things. And, you know, you saw yesterday how great he could be. He, he factored into every goal that the Predators had yesterday. I believe it was his first career four-point game. Um, he's shooting 21%. I just pulled up the numbers. Yeah, so that's... He's shooting 21%. He's got gonna, seven goals on 33 shots. That's going to regress a little bit. Um, <laughs> but but you know what? He's it's played well. scoring clip in Predators history. He's picked up the slack for the injured players. Yes. So, Callie, you're not listening, but someone you might know could be listening, yep. and I want them to tell you that I'm sorry. All right. Got that out of the way. I, I felt that that was pretty genuine. Uh, Ellie Tolvanen, just another ridiculous snipe from a not even a, a great angle. Um, he now has six goals in 20 games. He is actually your third leading scorer as far as goals go. Uh, has four power play four goals. Four power play goals. Like this, th- he, we are, he is blossoming, folks. And for those, for those of us, for those that you listen to the show and think that Adam is exclusively negative all the time, um, there is a lot of positive things to say about Ellie Tolvin. And this is two weeks in a row now where we just say, look, this dude is locked into the lineup. He is a part of the, he is one of the building block pieces of, of uh, when it comes to doing any sort of rebuild, even a, a subtle rebuild or a complete teardown. He is, he is the future of this team at this point. We're, we're seeing him gain confidence every time he goes out there. Yes. And he was asked a question after the game yesterday about whether he still feels like a rookie when you consider how long he's been playing professional hockey, because of course he was playing in the KHL before he came to the NHL. He's played a few years for the Milwaukee Admirals. He's 21 years old. He'll be 22 next month. So you would think a player with all of his experience, despite being young, might not feel like a rookie. And he said, yes, I still feel like a rookie. I'm the youngest guy on the team, uh, which is true. Um, But he is playing incredibly well. Um, the goal he scored yesterday at five on five, that was a, that's, God. I mean, it's a great, first of all, it's just an amazing shot it, as we know, but it's also not a goal that most people can score because it's, it's it was, a rare commodity. It was, it was from a tough angle as we like to say, and he was able to find, he was able to find just enough room on the rush uh, to score that goal. Um, those are the kind of goals that natural scorers score which Ellie is. Yep. Um, so, which, which not many Predators have ever been. Right. So are there still things about his game that need to be improved? Yes. John Hines had a great quote yesterday uh, talking about Ellie's growth, and he said that before the road trip, they talked to the coaching staff talked to Ellie and told him that we don't want you to just be a power play specialist. We don't just want you to wait until there's a power play. We want you to be good in all facets of the game, and he was um, at five on five. Um, what, what, so he's, you know, I, we, we've been hard on Ellie for the last couple of years because yep. we expected a different kind of player when he got here, considering all of the, of the, uh, hype, uh, that surrounded him and justifiably so, but keep in mind that, as I said, he's only 21 years old. We've been talking about him for such a long time yep. that you think he's probably in his mid twenties, maybe 23, 24, 25. He's only 21 and he's, and he's about to turn 22. So uh, still a very young player, hasn't entered his prime yet. So even if it took him a couple more years than Predators fans would have liked for him to be the player he seems to be becoming, you know, it it looks like it might be worth the wait. The other thing is, to your point, like on the power play, it's easy to find a guy, right? You can can park him backdoor, you can whatever formation, and you can kind of tic-tac-toe it around and create an opportunity for a guy to get a shot. What I think is interesting is that the best players on this team – before Yossi got hurt, Forsberg now, whoever's playing with him, they are looking to make the tough pass to get him the opportunity. And that that that's because he not only is he gaining confidence, they are more confident in him because they're seeing what he can do. And so I, I think what, again, I think the goal on Monday, it was not an easy pass to get him the puck, right? Like they, they, it, there could have been an easier play. And what I guess my point is, is that people are now, the best players on this team are looking to get him the puck because they now trust him 
And that's a huge step in the right direction for him and his development. So yes. uh, shouts, shouts to Ellie Tolvin. Uh, also, just always going to mention Matthew Olivier. Just keep flying around, buddy. <laughs> just love watching that guy play. All right. Pecorino, you wrote a big piece about this on The Athletic. Go pay for it. Uh, go pay for good journalism. Uh, you can get, like, I think you got, like, a dollar special right now. Yes, we're currently running yeah. a special $1 per month for six months. So $6 for six months worth of high-quality journalism. Um, so take advantage of that while you can. It's like one latte. Um, not Jeff e- Mayer. Yeah, not even. Jeff Mayer coming up from Sportsnet. Really interesting conversation, and we're going to talk a little general managing here in a second. But your conver- you, you – you wrote about Pekka, and we talked about this a little bit last week. I am of the belief that, you know, if there's something you can get for him and you're doing the rebuild and you can get him, I, I don't keep him for sentimental reasons. But, uh, you know, would it? how much would Preds fans love to see him go win a cup somewhere? And there are plenty of teams, Carolina, Edmonton, Minnesota, Toronto, whatever, somebody could use a goaltender here. So there, he could be of, of value to the Preds on the trade market. Um, but it sounds like he's... He sort of has some control because he he put a list of teams together and said, these are the teams that I can go to at the beginning of the year. It, it sounds like he's pretty content to stay here and not win the cup because I'm pretty safe. I feel pretty safe saying they're not going to win the cup this year. If you, Are you okay with me saying that? I, I think okay. you are within your within your right to say that. Um, so I talked to Pekka last week um, as we talked about on last week on last week's episode, um, I also talked to Ms. T.S. Ekholm. Um, but I talked to Pekka that same day, and we talked about, from his perspective, the idea of chasing the Stanley Cup. Because as the uh, athletics Sean McIndoe, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown, writes about every year, old guys without a cup. We all, we all love those players, those older players who have never won a championship, who you want to see right off into the proverbial sunset with a championship. They're of, always the second guy to hoist the trophy. Yes. Right? Of course, the 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 ultimate example is Ray Bork in 2001 with the Colorado Avalanche. Joe Sackick hands the cup to Ray Bork. It's one of the, I believe, greatest yeah. moments in the Stanley Cup playoff history. And, of course, Ray Bork retired right after that. Um, so we talked about that because in Nashville – Pekka winning the cup in similar fashion would carry the same weight around here. I agree. Um, So I asked him if there was any part of him that had thought about that, that had thought about wanting to leave this team, the only team he's played for, the team that drafted him in the eighth round in 2004. Was there any part of him that thought about what it would be like to switch teams in the twilight of his career, move to a contender, and try to go out on top? And he said no. He said he hasn't thought about it. He, he would prefer not to leave, and he said, I want to retire as a predator. And that's what I, I mean. That's, can't, you, can't you always do that, though? You can. Can't you go in a cup and come back and retire as a predator? Right, but I think, I mean, yes, the, 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 uh, the non-hockey. one-day contract? Right. The non-hockey example that comes to mind recently was um, Kyle Lowry with the Toronto Raptors. Talked that, about that's how, what comes to mind? Well, hear me out, because he said— <laughs> He said in an interview recently that he wants to retire as a member of the Toronto Raptors, and he said, if it means I have to sign a one-day contract to do it, I will. Right, so well, that's your point. But I'm saying— no, I, know, I know Thomas Davis just did this for the Carolina Panthers, who's like an all-NFL all star linebacker who played in the Super Kyle Bowl. Kyle Lowry is an NBA Phil, all-star. Villanova, right? Yeah. Um, Helped them win a championship. Emmett Smith. You know, Emmett Smith did it for the Cowboys, I think. My, my, knowledge, Lowry, of, interesting. my knowledge of basketball is much okay. higher than my knowledge of football. Um, but anyway, Lowry said, you know, I want to retire as a member of the Raptors. And even if that means I have to go somewhere else and come back and sign a one-day contract to retire a member of the Raptors, I will. So that's to your point. But I don't think Pekka even wants to do that. He, he takes it as a badge of honor. He wears it as a badge of honor yeah. that he has only played for one franchise and he wants to keep it that way. And, and the feeling is mutual. The Predators, as far as I know, have no interest in, in Pecorine going somewhere else. What I thought was interesting was I, I, I messaged a, a pro scout for another team and just said, for kicks and giggles, how, what do you think the Predators could get for Pecorine? And his response was, I think they might be able to get up to a second-round pick what? if they were willing to retain salary. D- what? Up to... 
up to. Okay, give me a third rounder for Pecorine right now. Give me the pick. Take Pekka. I'm sorry. I am not a sentimental man, apparently. But I, you apparently aren't. I, 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 this is shrewd. We are trying to gain, gain assets here. But don't you think that you could gain that same asset as part of the Matias Atcom package or part of the Mikhail Granlund package? I'm or greedy. For, or for Nick Cousins or something like do that. It, do them all. Do them all. Get gone. I think when it comes down <laughs> to Pecorine, I think sentimentality outweighs all right. that sort of okay. draft capital. He won I really it, do. He won his 366th game on Monday. He is three away from jumping into 19, 20th all-time right now. He is only eight wins away from passing John Van Beesbrook for 17th all-time. So if this were his last season and he were to retire, I don't think he can get to Mike Vernon at 16th overall. But I think, in theory, I think eight more wins is very doable over the well, course of the season. one thing that was interesting so. as I 17th all-time in NHL history is pretty good. It is. And one thing that's interesting that I went through while I was writing the story is that I was looking for goaltenders who have played the most playoff games without winning a Stanley Cup. And the top, the number one goalie on the list was Curtis Joseph, who played 133 oh, games for multiple teams in the playoffs, Cujo. never won a Stanley Cup. Great goalie helmets. Yes. Then Henrik Lundqvist played 130 playoff games for the New York Rangers, has not won a Stanley Cup. And then it gets interesting because Tony Esposito played 99 playoff games. He won the Stanley Cup, however, as a backup for the Montreal Canadiens. So I did not include him in that. And I also did not not include Tuka Rask, who has played 93 playoff games, but won as a backup with the Bruins behind Tim Thomas in 2011. If, so there if you only, got a cup, you got a cup. There are only three goaltenders who have played more playoff games than Pecorine that have not won the Stanley Cup. Wow. Curtis Joseph, Henrik Lundqvist, and Ron Hextall. Pecorine has played 89 playoff games and has not won the Stanley Cup. I mean, that, that was shocking to me because I knew he had played a lot of playoff games, but I didn't realize he was so high up on the list of goalies without a Stanley Cup. So, well, I mean, and- that sort of emphasizes what I was talking about. He's played so many playoff games that if he wanted to go to a contender and, and perhaps be and perhaps be a, a spot in a spot starter and help win help a team win a cup, no one would blame him. No one none of us would be mad at him for doing that. No. But he doesn't want to do that. So that's his prerogative. Yeah. It's fa- it's fascinating. And listen, I love the good story too. I also see the value of acquiring more as many assets as possible. Um, Jeff Merrick coming up in just a few minutes from Sportsnet. You're going to love the conversation. Talks a lot about some rising stars in the general managing ranks around the league. Gives you guys some ideas of guys who could be candidates should David Poyle step away at the end of the season. Talks about how to go about a rebuild, the, the dangers of all that. So we'll get into that in just a second. But real quickly here, David Poyle is the conversation right now. And it's almost every single game the Preds play where they're not playing well. It's fire David Poyle, fire David Poyle all over Twitter. That's all it is. I I don't know. Number one, I looked, went back and checked. I, I found like maybe six or seven guys in the last 10 years that have been fired as general managers in the NHL in the middle of the season. Ray Shiro for the Devils uh, uh, last season. You had Ron Hextall in Philadelphia in 2018. Ron Francis in 2017 for Carolina was demoted. Um, you had Jay Feaster for Calgary in 2014. Um, Darcy Rager, who was also there like 18 years, I think, um, in Buffalo in 2014. Um, Scott Scott Hassan for Columbus in 2013. So this is a very rare thing for a general manager to be fired in the middle of the season. And we're going to talk with Jeff about this in a second, Adam. But I, I guess... The, the two things that Predators fans have to weigh are, is David Poyle the most qualified person you can acquire right now to handle selling off pieces, right? Because otherwise you might have to promote Brian Poyle from within, or Jeff Kelty, or, or somebody from the actual organization to do this. Are they, cap- are they more capable than David Poyle? Or do you actually think you can go hire someone outside of the organization to be the person to run this franchise? two weeks before the trade deadline. I just don't I, – I think the message to Preds fans needs to be David Poyle is 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 not going to be the GM at the end of the year, but they're not going to move on him before the trade deadline. No, it's it's not going to happen. Um, we've talked about this at length, so we don't need to necessarily rehash all of our talking points, but it's not going to happen. Um, and, and Jeff will get into that more in depth during our interview. Um, but when we think about 
the trade deadline, which is less than a month away. And you know what? I'm kind of looking forward to the trade deadline. Oh, I am too. I not just because I think it's going to be interesting for the Predators, but I also like like when the trade deadline is over and we don't have to talk about that stuff anymore. <laughs> you know, it's always sort of like a sigh of relief that the trade le- trade deadline has passed and you don't have to worry about that for at least a couple months. Um, but I I think that Predators fans who are hoping that someone else is going to yank David Poyle out of his GM chair within the next three weeks, three and a half weeks, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. And I I don't think there are a lot of Predators fans who realistically believe that's going to happen. It's just angry in the moment Twitter. Yes. Spewing. And we all know that Twitter is a stream of consciousness. Uh, that yeah. we all it's okay that we all love so much it's so dear to our hearts <laughs> um, but I I was really interested in, in what Jeff had to say you know, Jeff is very well connected around the NHL not just in the NHL but in other NH, other leagues as well specifically the junior ranks um, and minor leagues uh, so when he mentioned certain guys um, that could be next in line for a GM job, um, I, I, I definitely listen to what he has to say because yeah. he knows these sorts of things. Yeah, so he, he will give you some really good insight on his opinions on John Hines. He will give you some really good insight uh, as, as far as the strategy behind a fresh set of eyes conducting the rebuild versus David Poyle conducting the rebuild. Strategy behind how to go about that. Um, we wanted to give you guys sort of the, the, the league-wide view uh, and history about what this exactly looks like. I'll, I'll tell you what I think is... I mean, Adam, I don't know if we're on the record by saying this. I do not think David Poyle is the general manager next season for the Nashville Predators. I, I, I don't know if we're on the record as saying that, but that's that's how I feel. I, I'm not on the record either way, and I'm not going to put myself out there just yet. I, I'm not doing this based on any, any information that I have, by the way. I'm just reading tea leaves and, and speculating here. It, it doesn't feel like David Poyle will be in charge of the franchise next season. Um, and that's just, that's just me putting it out there. I'm not getting anything from you. I'm not getting anything from sources. I'm just, I just, it's just pure speculation. Um, but what is the strategy? How do you go about doing that? If that's going to happen, Jeff will have a lot of really good insight into all these things. So when we come back on the gold standard, our conversation with Sportsnet's Jeff Merrick. The gold standard is brought to you by Jesper's. Jaspers, your neighborhood watering hole, elevated sports pub fair. Man, I don't even want to use the word pub. I shouldn't use the word pub. Elevated menu, great place to watch the game, free parking. College basketball tournament is right around the corner. They've got really good specials. They got the flats and taps on Tuesdays, which is a flatbread and a beer and anything on tap for ten bucks, which is a great a great deal. And you got burgers and beers on Thursdays, so you got lots of college basketball to watch on Thursdays over the next couple of weeks. So on Thursdays. 6 p.m. to close, you get a burger or a dog and a beer for 10 bucks at Jasper's. And you get to watch college basketball games. Now, why would you want to do that when Duke's <laughs> not in the tournament? Um, no, it's it's great. Um, as we discussed previously, uh, my wife and I made our happy hour sojourn uh, to Jasper's last week, which is not easy for us anymore because now we live on the east side of town and we went during rush hour. So it takes a little bit longer than when we lived um, on 12th Avenue. Uh, you're, a bridge and, you're a bridge and tunnel guy now. Yes. I, we, are uh, the, we are the bridge and tunnel crew over yeah. here. <laughs> uh, before I, I lived in the Gulch, in the, excuse me, the North Gulch, yeah, as it's whatever. called. Um, so we could easily uh, trek up Broadway. And, and onto West End Avenue. But here, here's the good thing about Jasper's. One of the great things about Jasper's. Yes. You can make the trek from anywhere because they have free parking. And it's quite the expansive parking lot. Yes. I've heard and seen with my own four eyes. Yes. It's so you should check it out. Substantial. It's a substantial parking lot. Just like the bar. Substantial bar. Got a nice patio as well. Great sight lines. They got the little library back there where they got the shuffleboard, which is my favorite bar game, period. So we've talked a lot about the idea of bringing bringing a date to to Jasper's and I've told you all of my ridiculous stories about having my ass grabbed in New Orleans next to my dad and all of these other things you know my wife who who has a keen eye for interior design ah, um, yes. 
when we went there, she looked around and said, I really like this place. She's like, I like the stools. I like the, I, you know, I like the decor, you know. The, the color that's the color, everywhere yeah, is literally nice, my wife's favorite color. It's a nice, like, green. It's a greenish, bluish yeah. aqua, but it's, like, soft and, like, refreshing. And my, I'm not even kidding. Our bathroom, all of our pillows, all of our blankets, everything in our house. She just ordered a chair that's that color. It, you walk into Jasper's and you basically, it's my vi- my wife's vision of interior design. <laughs> well, I think the fact that my wife, who ha- who is picky for this kind of thing, okay. we, we, we as you know, we, we moved into a home in, in December. We're still in the process of putting everything together and she's very particular about the way things look. So the fact that she liked how Jasper's was laid out was a, a, a stamp of approval. Um, it's sort of it's sort of like the uniforms in sports, mm-hmm. right? Like entertainment is there's visual aesthetics matter in entertainment. So maybe we overhype uniforms in sports, but you can't overhype the vibe, the vibiness of Jasper's, because lo- lots of natural light and lots of uh, green gl- green foliage in there too. Mm, fo- fo- foliage? Fo- foliage? Foliage? No. Foliage. Fo- foliage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, what did she order? She ordered the veg head, Ooh. the phyllo pocket, stuffed with quinoa, sunflower seed, hummus, and saucy shrooms. Served saucy shrooms? Saucy shrooms. <laughs> served like with, mushrooms with attitude? Yes. <laughs> served with pea pesto, smoked white bean aioli, charred carrot sauce, and broccoli. My wife does not eat meat. She enjoyed it very much. And she had plenty of good options. So even if you're vegetarian, you can still go to Jasper's and find a great meal. Um, I think she needs to be like... Saucy Shroom is also how I would define her social media presence as well. She just always got like a snarky. He's just, just she's I, snarky. She's got like, she's very good on Twitter. I think she would appreciate the term saucy. I'm not sure she would like being called a shroom. Oh, okay. But saucy is a, is an, is an apt adjective okay. to describe my wife. Saucy, by the way, according to diction, according to, uh, Miriam Whipster, uh, cheeky, oh, jaunty, well, wait, hold on. The cheeky mushroom. So it says informal, flippant, like a saucy remark. In North, in North American, I guess oh. because it's a perhaps it's a slang term in North America. Bold and lively. I was going to say, what's the Urban Dictionary of saucy saucy shroom? It's probably something stupid it's that we don't know about. Something marijuana related? No, not mar- <laughs> not marijuana. No, it would be a hallucinogen. I believe. Yes, yes. Shows how much I know about drugs. I don't know anything, obviously. Uh, all right, go to Jasper's. Where you can get some saucy shrooms. Don't do drugs. Uh, Jeff, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time today. We do really appreciate it. And I guess I wanted to start with just the, the broad history of NHL general managing in the middle of the season, making changes. There, there's not, It doesn't seem to happen a ton in this sport, but just... no. Sort of kind of give Predators fans uh, maybe a history lesson on on how often this happens, and is it a successful move in general, writ large across the NHL? Switching general managers, I mean, generally in hockey, and there are of course some exceptions. A general manager is there for a long time, and a general manager gets a long rope. Um, but that generally was when that position was a managing down position. The interesting thing about managing hockey teams now is, of course, you have to be able to manage down effectively. And it's not just a roster, but it's a coaching staff. But when you you know deal with situations where there are, you know, team presidents, president of hockey operations, uh, owners that want one, sometimes two hands on the wheel. One of the skills that successful general managers have now that they never needed to have because you just kind of saw your owner at Christmas and at the end of the year, and that was it. You need to have the ability to manage upwards more so than you ever had. It is a unique skill set. It's a different skill set. Hockey is not the only, you know, not the only sport that needs their managers to be able to manage upwards. Uh, but now, finally, hockey has been dragged into that reality. So, you know, uh, managing changes don't happen mid-season. Uh, the report cards for general managers uh, come in after a number of years uh, during the off-season. That's where that's where those moves are made. And of course, we're having this conversation, Jeff, because as the Predators struggle, there is yeah. a lot of heat on David Poyle. 
which yep. which is an interesting situation in town just because you talked about GMs being in their jobs for a long time. David Boyle literally built the foundation of the Nashville Predators. Yes. He may have he may have even, you know, spread some concrete at their team offices. That's how <laughs> that's how long we're that's how long we're talking about literally yeah. and figuratively built the foundation. Um, and I'm curious for your viewpoint because Three, four years ago, David Poyle could do no wrong. You know, he mm-hmm. made the trade for P.K. Subban, most notably trading Shea Weber. He made all of the right little moves around the team uh, to help them get to a point where they were competing for a Stanley Cup. But it seems over the past three years or so, most of his bigger moves have been duds. We think of the Kyle Turris trade. We think of the the Mikhail Granlund, Kevin Fiala deal. We think of the Ryan Hartman trade, the trade deadline. So we have our own opinions of David Poyle. Braden and I have talked about them at length on this show. From your outsider perspective and as well connected as you are in the league, what do you make of where David Poyle sits right now? Well, first of all, from my position, I love the fact that David Poyle is in the league because he always gives you something to talk about. And as you guys well know more than I do, because you're there, I mean, this guy swings for the fences. Like this guy is not shy about the big move and he's, um, and he's made them uh, more times than not. And, you know, ultimately you may say that, you know, that might be one of the downfalls um, of the Nashville Predators. You look at that entire forward unit and it's pretty much, you know, all trades and signings as opposed to talent that's grown through the system and up through the admirals and into the, the Predators organization. Um, you know, I think if you look at, you know, the entire body of work of David Poyle, and of course there's going to be some, some misses along the way. You're not going to win every trade. You're not going to win every signing. There are going to be some draft picks that go sideways. I think overwhelmingly he's done a wonderful job. Uh, with the Nashville Predators. Having said all that, you know, I am uh, a firm believer that, you know, after a while, an organization does need at least a fresh coat of paint uh, on it, needs a, a freshen up, a, a different way to, uh, a different way to do things. And I think if, if you, you know, ask David Poyle, he'll tell you the exact same thing. Um, just as coaches have shelf lives and players have shelf lives and broadcasters have shelf lives general managers do as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this off season as, you know, the architect of the, uh, the Nashville Predators from day one, uh, cutting ribbons and pouring concrete and drafting players, et cetera. Uh, if he has, uh, if he's still in the, the position to tear down what he wants build with what he wants built rather, then that's a difficult position to put someone in because sometimes you can be emotionally married to certain decisions where someone comes in with a fresh view, you know, there's no background, there's no history, there's no promises, conversations, et cetera, and just come in and make all those, you know, cold decisions. Uh, overwhelmingly, he's been a success for Nashville. I understand, you know, after a while, as much as the hits may have piled up in the uh, uh, in the previous years, sometimes it's tough to write that hit record again. And that might be where where Poyle is at with the Preds at this point. Yeah, I think two two things are true. He's the most influential, important, singular human in franchise history, and also they might need a fresh set of eyes. And I think fans right now are struggling with this. We are less than a month from the deadline, or right around a month from the deadline. They have assets that have value for only a few more weeks that can return them future assets, whether that's draft capital or prospects. And I guess my question, and it may not be just directed about David Poyle, but maybe it's more of a hockey question in general. If you do want that fresh coat of paint in those eyes like you're talking about, do, do you want that person or someone new running those or those negotiations and making those moves? Do you want the experience of David Poyle making those moves? Is there actually a benefit to having someone else make those decisions? Because as you pointed out, managing up is critical, but that's in Nashville, that's unique. It's not, there's not really a voice in Nashville telling him what to do necessarily. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of having someone new make all these moves in the next month versus having David Poyle make all these moves? Well, the advantages are you come in with a fresh set of eyes and this is the new idea and you chart a new identity and you have a new path for that. And it might be someone who's, you know, more in tune to, you know, where the game is heading right now, as opposed to, you know, looking at the long runway that is the NHL since David Poyle has been in it. Uh, And with that, you know, brings a lot of, you know, we all have biases based on our history. 
Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that that could could do that job of dismantling this. Now, having said all this, this is all predicated on the idea that Nashville is going to go through this enormous teardown, if that is even possible. Um, you know, once upon a time, we looked at the Minnesota Wild, for example, and said, man, this is going to be a lengthy process. This is going to take years and years. This is a Gordian knot they have to undo. This is, you know, the tightest pretzel we've seen when you look at that salary cap structure. And here we are only a couple years in and, you know, with a fresh general manager and Bill Guerin and already we're starting to see the, the sunny side of the mountain after Minnesota's lived on the shady side uh, for a number of different seasons. So one, how committed are you to tearing it all down all at once? Because if you want to make the big cuts right away, it's probably best to bring in, you know, the hatchet man. We've all had this person at our office, the person that's <laughs> hired to come in to do the firing and, oh, he's wearing that red shirt. That means it's firing day. And why is there all this pink paper in the fax machine? Yes, that is a dated reference. No one uses fax machines anymore. And I, and I get that. <laughs> if you're committed to doing a big, swift teardown of everything that's, that's, uh, that's been built, you probably want someone in to, to chart a new direction. If you're just looking to you know, maybe massage a couple of pieces here and say, well, we've got a lot of long-term contracts here. A lot of guys uh, on the books with length. Maybe we can squeeze a couple of more seasons out of it. You probably leave David Poyle in that position. But if you're, if you're going to come in and, and chart a new path for, uh, for this organization, you probably bring in a new set of eyes and that person will bring in their own staff. When you made that reference to the hatchet men in the office, I was thinking about the bobs from office. <laughs> what, I, what is it exactly you would say that you do here? Right. A little, yes, less, exactly. a little less menacing, but perhaps more humorous. But the, yeah. the interesting thing about the Predators hockey operation structure, Jeff, is that not only has David Poyle been there from day one, of course, but most of his right-hand men have been there yeah. for a significant period of time, too. Of course, his son, Brian, is an, is an assistant GM who's been with the organization for, I believe, more than a decade. Um, Jeff Kelty, who has climbed the yep. ranks, um, has been there from close to the beginning, now also an assistant GM, previously director of amateur scouting. Before he went to the Minnesota Wild, Paul Fenton was there yep. for a very long time. So there, there aren't a lot of people in the organization that are in those decision-making roles that are quote unquote fresh. So mm -hmm. I guess the question is, because a lot of times we talk about, and this is not just in hockey, we talk about this in sports all the time. We talk about fire this coach, fire this GM, do this, yeah. do that. But the one thing that we always fail to neglect is, okay, well, if you're firing that coach or you're firing that GM, who are you replacing him with? And who is going to do the job better than the person you're firing? So yeah. when you look at the landscape of the NHL, which we know is a retread league, I mean, yeah. a lot of the same people get hired in the same positions. We just saw it in the coaching ranks with Daryl Sutter in, yep. in Calgary, um, getting hired by the Flames for the second time. Um, <laughs> so are there any front office types outside of the NHL or in the NHL up and comers who really stand out to you as the next big thing, the next person who might get an opportunity to run a team that hasn't had that opportunity before. Uh, I've always wondered at what point Chris McFarland is going to get an opportunity to, uh, to be a general manager, just like, you know, you say about, you know, someone like Ross Mahoney, like I'm looking at, at people that haven't run teams before. And McFarland haven't with the Avalanche, is that correct? He was with the Avalanche previous with the, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes. Um, Mahoney with the, the Washington Capitals. Um, I, I'm still also very curious, uh, when John Ferguson, uh, gets, uh, another chance, um, that is someone it gets tough when you go through the Maple Leafs ringer. Uh, but when you look at, you know, what John Ferguson has been able to do, of course, in concert, uh, with management in, uh, in the, in the Boston Bruins organization, like it's, it's pretty remarkable. Like whether it's as an assistant in St. Louis, uh, the big chair in Toronto, uh, as an assistant with uh, with the Boston Bruins, he's never been part of a team that's either, you know, drafted in or traded out of the top 10 in any draft. Like he's he's pretty skilled at helping to put together, you know, teams that are competitive on a, on a consistent basis. Now, if you're looking for, you know, fresh mind, hasn't had the chair before, uh, maybe someone that hasn't been in management before. Um, maybe you look at Kevin Weeks um, of the NHL Network, who's had a number of different opportunities uh, that name would very much be out there. Uh, Mike Fuda, 
Mm-hmm. I have to be careful how I talk about Mike since uh, he works with us uh, at Sportsnet, but he was part of the Pittsburgh conversation as well previously uh, with the Los Angeles Kings, a keen scouting background. Like it, a lot of the decision is going to be based on, you know, what you're looking for in a GM. And if you're looking for, you know, we are going through this, like unlike with David Poyle and the forward group, we're going to build through the draft. Then you have someone with a, you know, a, a good scouting eye or a good scouting mind. And like the Ottawa senators went that direction with Pierre Dorian and look with the prospects uh, that Ottawa has been able to put together. So if you're in Nashville and you say, we're going to go through this, you know, uh, going through, through drafting and development, maybe it's someone like Mike Fuda uh, that you look at. Um, there'll be no shortage of, of, uh, of veterans. Um, you know, Mike Gillis uh, is still very much out there. We'll see what happens at the end of the season. Um, you know, if any, you know, general managers are let go and could become available, you know, I've always wondered if you're looking, you know, really cutting edge and that next wave of, of a general manager with a heavy analytics slant, um, to how he views the game. I've always wondered if Eric Tulski in Carolina is ever going to get a chance, uh, to get the keys to the Chevy and, and run his own team and what that front office, uh, would look like. Um, you're right. It is generally uh, a league where we start to see when we see often the same faces behind the bench uh, in upper management. I think slowly that is changing, albeit slowly, like the yes. slowest of all the major leagues uh, to, to do that. Hockey is sort of drag kicking and screaming into these decisions, as you guys well know. But those would be some of the Mike uh, Scott Mellonby uh, in Montreal. That would be another one that uh, that would come in. Mean, the candidates always pop up, right? And we just saw this with the with the Pittsburgh situation and uh, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke end up going there. But there won't be any shortage of candidates. But I think the first decision is, you know, who are we and where are we going? And then you hire the who gets us there, which is your manager. And then from there, you make your decision on the coaching staff. Do, do you have any preferences on what you think Nashville should do if that's the decision they've got to make? What, what Who are we? Because they've yeah. not ever, in, in 25 years, they have not shown the ability, I know it's the same guys making decisions, to yeah. draft and develop offensive talent. Yeah, I, I get that. And that can all change. But you can flip that around and say, hey, has there been anyone better at drafting developing defensemen? Right. You know, if you look at like, hey, this is how you win Stanley Cups is, you know, your, your back end. Is there anyone in this generation of sports that's done it better? on a consistent basis. And albeit they've traded a bunch of them, but when you have the luxury of trading all those, all those defensemen, um, you know, you've, you, you've really got something going there. Um, yeah. I, I understand the issue with drafting offensively minded players, but that all changes with a new regime, right? That all changes with a new focus. And maybe that's already got begun in someone like Philip Tomasino, um, who I would look at and say, you know, Roman Yossi's not going anywhere. I don't want to touch Phil Tomasino, but everybody else, we're open for business. Um, but that all comes in with, uh, with, with a brand new staff and, and new eyeballs. Um, looking at coaches through a pandemic yep. year and then a, yep. <laughs> you know, one of the weirdest 2020s we've ever seen writ large across everyone's life. And, yeah. and then, you know, I mean, John, one 2020, <laughs> right. Well, and John, and John <laughs> Hines had an even more unusual 2020 than just the regular people in 2020, which is, when he comes in, I, I guess my question is, how do you evaluate coaches over the last 18 months? And in particular, John Hines, how can you even evaluate the job that they've done? Yeah, I've, um, I've always been a John Hines fan. I was a John Hines fan when he's with the New Jersey Devils. I'm still a John Hines fan now that he's with the, uh, the National Predators. That is that one area specifically in this, the most challenging of situations where you're dealing with not just, you know, athletes physically, but dealing with athletes mentally and a challenging year with, you know, underperformance by a lot of key national predators players. I tend to give someone like John Hines, a lot of rope here. Like that isn't one of those decisions that I would make. Like I know the general manager comes in and sure it's a GM's right to name his own, you know, his own coach and allow that coach that to hire assistants, or maybe you know, the GM hires one assistant, the coach hires uh, another one, but that wouldn't be one of my decisions right away. If I was going to uh, bring on a new general manager, which, which ultimately speaks to this idea that, you know, I think a lot of people have in their mind that the, the same thing to do is just tear everything down, take it down to parts and then build it up again, man, when you do that, it's risky. Like there are as, as many failures uh, as there are successes. I would even argue there are more failures than there are successes. When you go that route, you may get one player and get lucky in a lottery, 
Um, but you still do need to surround younger players uh, with good examples. And we look at the Edmonton, look at the Edmonton situation. And it's got to be the key veterans too, right? Like, I mean, Edmonton stripped that thing down and all it was is Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle and uh, Justin Schultz and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And, you know, we had you know, the big sign when you walked into the dressing room was earned, not given. Meanwhile, these guys are all handed huge contracts. They realized, oh, we got to bring in some vets. And, you know, they brought in guys that could that weren't in that sweet spot age group that could relate to the kids. You know, it wasn't anyone in their late 20s. Uh, it was guys like Andrew Ferentz, bless him. Uh, guys like Ryan Smith, bless them. But these guys, you know, have families and things away from the rink that when practice is done or they're games are done they have other things to do and other responsibilities so i'm really more so than ever now as i continue to learn about this game uh, i'm of the mind that just taking it down you know right to the chassis and building it back up isn't necessarily always the best way to do it you need to have some players around you can't just start with a blank sheet of paper i can't you can't just treat your team like an expansion squad and say all right rolling up the sleeves. Here's what we get to do here. Here's what we get to do now. This is fun time. It's fantasy GM uh, time because you know, look at the pain the Buffalo Sabres are in. You know, look at the pain that Edmonton went through. Like there's still, there's still the fumes of, you know, uh, going back to, you know, if, you know, Tambellini, they're still feeling the effects of it. So I, I sort of pull up a little bit when I say take it all down. I still think you do still do need some, some players there. And you still do need some consistency from one season to the next. And Jeff, we'll get you out of here on this again. Thanks so much yeah, no for problem. joining us um, with the trade deadline less than a month away. You know, the Predators have what many believe to be the ultimate trade chip, and that's Matias Ekholm. Love him. Uh, he is a fantastic, well-rounded defenseman. Many of the qualities that NHL teams look for in a modern defenseman. He's big. He skates well. He does every. He just pretty much does everything well. Um, yeah. And there are going to be no shortage of suitors for his services. Um, when you look at the landscape of the teams that could be in the mix for Matthias Ekholm, which team do you think one would be the best fit for him and two would be able to provide the predators with the best return in terms of what they're looking for, which I think the baseline is probably the Jake Muzzin deal with Toronto from a few yep. years ago, yep. a first round pick, a couple prospects. So yep. who, who would provide the best fit? for Ekholm and what in which team would provide the Predators with the best return wherever he goes as well and this is what we always have to keep in mind so he has terms so it's not just this yeah. season but it's next season as well so you have the Seattle expansion issue yeah. uh to figure out as well Philadelphia's you know uh trying to figure them Philadelphia's very interested as we all know it's a worst kept secret in the NHL <laughs> uh that he that uh, the Flyers are interested in Matthias Ekholm but uh, everything has to be done you have to sort out your expansion situation uh, and who you're going to protect because Ekholm would be someone that you would need to uh you would need to protect there's a few teams the Boston Bruins come to mind uh right away now with the Ben Sherratt injury I would have to more so than ever uh throw in the Montreal Canadiens but I'll tell you, man, if I'm the Winnipeg Jets right now, and I know they just went through a tough quarantine with Pierre-Luc Dubois, and that didn't work out great, and he comes back, and he's injured. Like, they don't want it, – it's tough having players sit for 14 days. You know, go and sit in a hotel room for 14 days, and then if it if, – like, if you're doing the deal on the 12th, like, you're not getting the player till the 28th, right? And then you're going to play a handful of games. That's that's tough when you're bringing them, you know, uh, to, a, to a Canadian squad. But if I'm Winnipeg – you know, I got a top six that's the envy of the majority of teams in the NHL. You may even make the argument that the best top six uh, in the NHL. You got a goaltender who's a Vesna Trophy candidate year in and year out. Your only issue is your blue line. I know the quarantine was tough for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I know they don't like athletes to go through that. Everyone here in Canada is crossing their fingers. They get the quarantine chopped down to seven days. I don't know if that's happening and you can't, you know, just sort of cross your fingers, make the deal and hope uh, that by the time, you know, April 12th rolls around, that quarantine time has changed. But man, if I'm Winnipeg, if I'm Winnipeg, I am looking at Matthias Ekholm seriously, because this is a go for it year for the Winnipeg Jets. They have demonstrated they can hang at the top of that division um, and probably see an easier path to the final four than this organization has had since they moved from Atlanta. I'm Winnipeg, man. I'm, I'm looking at Matias Ekholm 
hard. A good number too, we should probably throw in there. Like a very team-friendly contract. And, you know, he's one of the best at suppressing shots uh, in his own zone. Like everything measures up. Like I've always described Matias Ekholm as the defenseman's defenseman. Like a casual fan might not really get it. Like, well, what's the big deal about Matias Ekholm? Puck goes in, puck goes out. Yeah, you know how hard that is. <laughs> you know, like you know how tough. Like, and to make it as easy as he does, like he does like everything for you. Like that's the one guy that, like, when you're a defenseman in the NHL and you play either against Matias Ekholm or with Matias Ekholm, you look at that guy and you say, "That's a good defenseman." I feel like we talked about Nicholas Dromarsson a lot like that. Same. Yeah. Same sort yeah. of thing. Not not at all flashy, but does everything defensively so well. The other, my one quick follow-up to that is, do you think the idea of trading a player, because of course right now the, the Jets are in the quote-unquote North, well, they are, it's the North division. But yeah. if the divisions return, what the divisions are are going to return, excuse me, yep. back to their normal form, which means Winnipeg is back in Nashville's division next year. Do you think the trading, do you think that, does that matter? Is that overblown? No, I mean, it, it depends on what you, like if you're a team that's going to rebuild, do you care what the other teams are doing? Right. Like sure. if, if you're, if you're going to re, if you're the national predators and, and you're rebuilding and you say to yourself, okay, you know what, you know, check us out in a couple of years here. That's when we're going to start to contend again. Right now we need to take care of our own backyard, mow our own lawn here and, and, and get ready to, to show the house in a couple of years. Do you care that Matias Ekholm's in Winnipeg? Probably not. I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can think like that specifically if you're going to, if you're a team that's going to go through a rebuild. Well, yeah, I think he's going to come back and haunt you. You're, you're well, haunting yeah. yourself with the rebuild. They've been on the other side. I think they've been on the other side of that. The predators have like, they, they gave a young player in Fiala to Minnesota and Gerard to Colorado. Like they've, they've been on the other side of that. So yeah, um, I'm with you. You just got to get the best possible deal for your franchise. hundred percent focus on yourself and, and deal with the consequences and chips as they fall. Whatever's going to get you the best collection of, of picks and prospects that what you go, that's where you go. And if it's in the same, if it's in the same division, so be it. (laughs) <laughs> Jeff, great stuff, man. Appreciate you Thanks, giving boys. us some time. We really appreciate Thanks. it. And I uh, look forward to talking with you in the future, bud. Buzz anytime. Always good catching up. Special thanks to Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet for joining us. Just really, really good stuff there. And lots of names for potential candidates. Uh, lots of insight. I thought it was interesting, his split, Adam. Real quickly here before we kind of wrap up the show. No, number one, very much on the John Hines train. Don't get rid of John Hines yet. It's too soon to get rid of him. And, but very much it sounds like if you're going to go down this path of trying to retool the Nashville Predators, that you need a fresh set of eyes. So I, what I took from that conversation was maybe there needs to be a, there, there probably needs to be a change in the general manager office, but maybe you keep John Hines for, for another year or two. Yeah, and, and, and that's interesting because – as Jeff discussed, and we often see in sports, when a upper management change is made, oftentimes that person chooses their coach. Very rarely does the coach get held over, or if they do, it's for a very brief yeah. period of time. Um, but like we talked about earlier when we were talking about the games on this road trip, specifically the most recent game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, this is a team that still plays hard for its coach. Um, And look, we know that John Hines is not a perfect coach. No coach is. We know that the hiring for most Predators fans was uninspiring. And that feeling hasn't changed over the past year plus. But this is a team clearly that feels like it's, playing hard for its coach looks that way yeah feels that way um so we've talked about when a rebuild happens oftentimes the people who are there at the start of the rebuild the people who who orchestrate the rebuild do not get to see the end of it because they're no longer in those positions so whether john hines is here past this season or past next season we'll see but I think for right now, where this team is, we yep. expect this team to be competitive in games. You know, I don't expect them to make the playoffs. We've discussed this, but I, I think John Hines is the right coach right now. 
Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. you know, we'll see what happens down the road, but I think John Hines is the right coach right now, all things considered. They're going to trade as many pieces as they can at the deadline with David Poyle and John Hines in place. David Poyle will step away gracefully at the end of the season in some capacity. A new general manager will be hired and John Hines will remain the head coach. That is my prediction of events over the course of the next six months. Well, and, I guess we'll see. And hopefully, if you're right. maybe you know, maybe one of the two eight million dollars centermen goes to Seattle in that in that process as well. So, I think that's what's going to happen. Anyway, uh, special thanks to Jeff Merrick for for joining us there. He is fantastic, uh, absolutely awesome. Sportsnet, and of course, uh, the podcast as well. So make sure you go check out uh, all that good stuff. Adam Vinga, where can people follow you? They can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And we cannot forget about our power rankings before oh, we oh, leave. Oh, I was trying to. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Jasper's number one. Jasper's is one. Okay. Number one, the Florida Panthers. Okay. 42 points as of taping. Tied with the with the New York Islanders for the top team in the league in terms of points, not points percentage. So they're number one. Number two, the Carolina Hurricanes, who have won eight consecutive games. Yeah. Then Tampa Ooh. at number three. Then... I'm going to go... This is a tough year to be in this division. Maybe we thought we thought this division was... Yeah, we didn't think that <laughs> We didn't think that three of the best five teams in the league. Right. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So I might kind of... I might work my way from eight up to four. <laughs> oh, so Detroit is eight. We know that. All right, fair enough. And I think Dallas is seven. Okay. And, and this is where it gets confusing. So I think I might put Chicago four, Nashville five, Columbus six. I, I, it's funny that I kind of agree with you and that we're talking so heavily about such a massive rebuild and they are one spot out of the playoffs <laughs> against the Chicago team that we don't know if they've got staying power or not. Yeah. Watch this team go through a sell-off and make the playoffs. How about that? Take that, John Hines. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? I'm just going to say this, that if this team finds a way to make the playoffs, <laughs> I'm not just going to have an egg on my face. I'm going to have like, a quiche on my some face. saucy shrooms some saucy <laughs> shrooms all over my face you know i i've stuck my neck out that this team's not going to be very good and going to miss the playoffs and going to what have do you actually all these put on things. the line you haven't put anything on the line your, my, neck, your neck's not out my my uh my reputation your shrimp and goodies are not out there my okay? reputation <laughs> your collie poppers are still tucked away <laughs> those are very good by the way uh, Even if you don't love cauliflower. Oh, I love I love cauliflower. Anything uh, fried is good. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, all right, special thanks to Jeff Merrick. Special thanks. You can follow Adam Bingen at Adam Bingen on Twitter. Go to The Athletic. Pay for good journalism. You can follow me at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share the show. Special thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Jaspers. Make sure you're checking out Jaspers over the course of the next couple of weeks. Great place to go watch the basketball game. They've got happy hour specials from 4 to 6 every day, and then their weekly rundown where they've got a different item special every single night except for friday um they got a buy one get one free on saturday you got the beer, burgers and taps on thursday so if you're gonna go watch games this weekend make sure you're there thursday and check it out after 6 p.m you get a burger or a dog and a beer for 10 bucks whoa it's an incredible deal so go check it out uh jasper's of course from the great people at four top hospitality that brought you so many great restaurants in this city free parking great bar great place to watch the game go to jasper's Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please share the show with somebody. Adam Bingen, Braden Gall, this has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.